Well, at this time, our elementary school kids are dismissed to their classes. Pretty fun, so I guess most of them are gone. Ran out with the donkey. Well, in case you were wondering, my birthday is New Year's Eve, and so you have several months to start preparing for it. But usually when people find out that's my birthday, they think it's very exciting. And I really didn't understand why when I was a kid. All I knew was every year my dad seemed really excited to remind me that I was his tax deduction. And beyond that, having a birthday on two years Eve, New Year's Eve really meant two things. Since your birthday is six days after Christmas, you get all of your presents at one time of the year, and then you have to wait a whole year till you get some more. And two, all your friends are out of town on your birthday, so you have to wait to have your birthday party for a couple weeks after. So it really did not seem beneficial. Well, as I've gotten a little older, I've started to understand why having a birthday on New Year's Eve is fun. Everywhere you go, people are having a party, and they're counting down to a new year. However, I've had to grow to accept that usually people are celebrating things other than it being the day that I was born. So basically, it's a disappointing day to be born, whether you're young or old. But as I think about Palm Sunday, at least from my perspective, what we just enacted this morning, it's a bit like New Year's Eve celebrations. People were celebrating without fully understanding the significance of what they were celebrating. In our scripture reading this morning, the people waved palm branches just like we did and shouted as Jesus rode into the city on the colt of a donkey, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And that word Hosanna, we often think of it as a shout of praise, which it can be, but it literally means save. It was something that people would shout to, particularly a king who they wanted to save them. And so the people are waving their palm branches in honor of Jesus as their king, the one that they believed had come to rescue them. But in all of their excitement, they missed really a fuller picture of who Jesus is and who he came to be. And how do we know this? We know their celebration was a bit misguided because just a few day late, days later, Instead of shouting Hosanna, many in these same crowds turned on Jesus and began to shout, crucify him. It's hard to fathom how such a dramatic change could happen in less than a week. How could this happen? Well, I'd like for us to turn back to our scripture text this morning that Cooper and Kayla so beautifully read for us this morning to Matthew 21, and we'll pick up on just verses 10 and 11. At the end of this, this scene, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, that, that, those couple of verses gives us a little clue of what is going on. The question of Jesus' identity was something that stirred the entire city as Jesus rode into it. The crowds responded, saying that Jesus was the prophet. But we see throughout Jesus' ministry that his identity was something it puzzled people. It was something that Jesus revealed to people gradually, and for a time he even kept his identity secret. In Matthew's Gospel, just a few chapters before this scene, in chapter 16, we see this dialogue between Jesus and his disciples, where Jesus even poses to them the question about his identity. 
Let's take a look at these verses. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Well, Peter gets the answer right, and he's even commended by Jesus in this scene. But even for other reasons we don't understand, the disciples, they didn't understand Jesus' mission, even when they came to the conclusion that he was the Messiah, particularly the part that Jesus came to suffer and die on a cross. This was not in the paradigm that they had imagined about their Messiah. Well, in our Palm Sunday text from Matthew 21, this demonstrates that the people of Jerusalem, they didn't get it. They were celebrating a version of Jesus, a king that they wanted that would serve their own purposes, rather than embracing Jesus for all he came to be and do. The people liked Jesus the miracle worker and the healer, the one who performed signs and wonders. And more than anything, they wanted him to be their king, a king who would come and free them from the Roman occupation. You see, as an occupied nation, they, what they wanted more than anything was liberation. And so some of them, they believed these prophecies of a coming prophet or messiah, but what they wanted him to do was to free them from their enemies. They wanted a political and military leader who would drive the Romans out. And in those days, you may know that usually warrior kings rode on horses. So they, the people, as they see Jesus riding into Jerusalem, to them this signified he was the one who came. And so they began to shout, Hosanna, save us. But one of the most important things that the people missed is what kind of animal did Jesus ride into Jerusalem on? We had it here with us this morning. Jesus was riding on a donkey. And the gospel writers, many of them pointed out later after this scene, the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9 that said the Messiah would ride on the colt of a donkey, which was symbolic of a leader who came to bring peace, not to go into war. The, the, the scriptures had foretold that the, this Messiah would be a different type of leader, who would usher in a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of peace that later they would learn that he would give his own life to usher in. And so some of these same people who shouted Hosanna on Sunday quickly became part of the crowd that turned on Jesus when he failed to meet their expectations as the conquering hero that they desired. But today, if you're anything like me, you might start to think, how could they do this? How could they miss who Jesus was? How could they watch him perform the miracles, like turning water to wine, raising Lazarus from the dead, and telling them he had the power to forgive sins, and then turn on him, abandon him, or even shout for him to be executed? How could they miss who he came to be? Well, perhaps a better question we should ask instead is where are we not fully acknowledging who Jesus came to be in our own lives? 
What aspects of Jesus' identity do we embrace? In which parts of his identity do we ignore or fail to emphasize in our lives? Sometimes we too may fall into the same trap that these people fell into of wanting to be Jesus to be a king who serves our own purposes. We might want him to be a miracle worker who heals our ailments and our diseases. He might be the one that we turn to. We want him to take away our worries and our problems, the one who will answer our prayers. Maybe we tend to turn to him only when we want him to make our lives better, to help us find that new job or the right house or even the right school for our kids. Sometimes we too may fail to acknowledge our need for a king who came for the purpose of going to the cross on our behalf. Well, back in 2005, sociologist Christian Smith and a team of researchers did a study on the youth in America and kind of their core beliefs, those that claim to be Christians. And he coined a phrase that many adolescents adhered to that's called moralistic therapeutic deism. You may remember deism is kind of the belief that God started everything, wound the clock, and just kind of let the earth go. Well, they were saying, practically speaking, a lot of these adolescents came to believe, um, uh, have a kind of a cultural understanding of what, um, what Jesus was like that really is not like the biblical accounts. But what's interesting is this study, I'll tell you in just a moment some of his findings, but now most of these adolescents would be people who are in their 30s now. And I, what I found so interesting as I read this is I think it, as you hear some of these things, it kind of describes a way, the way a lot of American Christians um, believe, or at least practically speaking, the things that they embrace, even if they say they believe other things. But Smith found this, that many people today want a God who will help them be good, nice people. They want a God who will help them feel happy and feel good about themselves. They want God in their lives to help solve their problems and to assure them that they will go to heaven when they die. But beyond that, they don't really particularly need God to be very involved in their lives. And often there is very little thought of their need for a savior. I found that so interesting. And I wonder if beliefs like these might just be a modern day version of us waving our palms and saying, Jesus, we want you to make our lives better. We want you to take away our problems and save us when we need saving. We want you to be our king, but we don't really need the cross. But friends, to have a correct understanding of who Jesus is, is and his identity, we need to follow Jesus all the way from Palm Sunday, all the way through Holy Week as he journeyed toward the cross. We need to realize that Jesus rode into Jer Jerusalem on a donkey to represent that he came to be more than a king or a person who will solve our problems and make us happy. Jesus came first and foremost to be our savior and to demonstrate his love for us by journeying to the cross. Well, Tim Keller, he's read a written a fantastic book called King's Cross. I think it's actually now been republished as Jesus the King, but I love the original title because of its symbolism. And he originally chose this title because it's a play on words of the famous train station and area of London called King's Cross. 
but he points out that these two words basically are a summary of Jesus's identity and purpose. He came to be a king whose purpose was to journey to the cross. He came to be our savior, to save us from our sins by his death and resurrection. And often the season of Lent that we've been journeying through is a time for us to reflect upon this reality and to allow the aspect of Christ as our Savior to really take root in our hearts. And we do this by starting to admit our need for a Savior, which can actually be something that's difficult to do. Why? Because it's a lot easier to ask the Lord into our lives when we want him to fix our problems than it is for us to acknowledge our sins, our weaknesses, and our tendency to wander from God. For some of us, confessing our sin before God is about as fun as going to the dentist. We don't like being told we need to floss better, or when the dental hygienist declares to us that there's a spot that you've been missing in your brushing. It's a lot more fun when they just tell you they've been doing an excellent job with their home care regimen, isn't it? Well, identifying these places in our lives can be difficult to do, to acknowledge. And as we've been working through this sermon series <clears throat> that we are calling Thin Places, excuse me, we're discovering that many of the places where we experience God's presence in our lives can be often these somewhat painful or difficult places. And one of these thin places where we most experience our need for God is in confessing our sin before him and acknowledging our need for a savior. Acknowledging that we are sinful people for whom Jesus died. This can be both a sobering and difficult thing to admit. Well, a few weeks ago, I got to preach on Genesis chapter three and where we discovered kind of the origin of sin and brokenness in our lives, from Adam and Eve's original choice to eat of the fruit. But from that very moment, God began to have a plan to restore us to right relationship with God. He had a plan to send his own son to give his life to be a sacrifice for sin. Our inadequacies, our bad habits, our mistakes and failures are the very reason that Jesus came. He came to pay the price for our sin and restore us to right relationship with God. I think one of the most poignant passages in all of scripture comes from Romans 8, verses 6 through 8. And it says this, You see, at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is truly the greatest picture of love that we'll ever imagine. Jesus loves you so much that he was willing to die for you at your very worst. Jesus didn't wait for us to get our acts cleaned up, He's not a God that demands perfection for us to be worthy. He says, at your very worst, I will give my life for you to let you know how loved you are. So let me ask you this. When was the last time that you allowed yourself to just truly reflect on Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf? Does it move you 
to think of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Sometimes, a truth can become so familiar that we absorb it intellectually without allowing it to move from our heads to our hearts. Bible stories can become that way. They've become something we've heard so many times that we fail to allow them to move into our hearts and bring about change in our lives. Well, this past week, my son Connor and I took a spring break trip to Washington, D.C. Ellie and Joe were supposed to join us, but Ellie got sick right before we were supposed to go on the trip, so Joe was a nice dad and decided to stay behind while Connor and I got to go off and have a bunch of fun. We tried to make, we missed them, we tried to make the most of our four-day kind of whirlwind trip. One day we even clocked 10.7 miles on foot, and mom's old legs started getting tired. I had to tell my six-foot-three son to slow it down a little because his strides were a little too fast for me. But of all the, the, observing all the history, taking in the monuments, the museums, and everything that we saw there, it really made the history of our nation come alive for me in a way that I hadn't experienced before. And of all the moments that we had, probably the most moving experience for me was our visit to Arlington Cemetery. On the trip, I learned that over 400,000 veterans are buried there. And while I've seen pictures of the cemetery before, I was not expecting how, how sobering it would be to take a 45-minute tram around the cemetery to just see endless rows of uniform white gravestones. And it truly moved me in a way I hadn't experienced before to think of each one of these people, each one of these graves represented a person who had sacrificed their lives for our country and for the freedoms that we possess. Well, similarly, I think for us, sometimes it can be difficult to truly absorb the weight of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. To think of what Jesus endured, the pain and suffering, the humiliation and mocking, and the lengths that he was willing to go to to secure our salvation and to demonstrate his love for us. It can be hard to grasp and take it all in. So I wanted to offer a challenge to you this week. What if this Holy Week you created some space to reflect upon Jesus' journey to the cross and the significance of the cross in your life? What if you carved out some time in your day to read some of the gospel accounts that follow Jesus' footsteps to the cross and then try to take some time to just pray about that and reflect on what you were reading? Well, I recently heard a story of a man named Michael Wilkin. He's a professor and, and pastor who decided he would try to do this. And so he basically made a kind of a chart of, that harmonized all the different gospel accounts, and it walked with Jesus each day of Holy Week. So on Monday, you would read what Jesus was doing that Monday, and then Tuesday and Wednesday, all the way to the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, all the way to Easter Sunday. And he started these readings by trying to visualize what Jesus was doing every day of the week. And he said he tried to imagine um, what it would be like to put himself in Jesus' shoes, to empathize with what he was feeling as Peter rejected him, as the other disciples ran away, or as Judas betrayed him. 
He said, I also try to imagine his incredible suffering as he endured the horrors of the crucifixion and separation from God, and then the joy of the resurrection with his victory over sin accomplished. He said that this practice was so moving for him that he began to invite others to participate in it with him. He was a youth pastor, and they were on a spring break mission trip, and each day they would do devotionals that would walk through what Jesus experienced each day. And then later, as a professor, he actually even made this assign an assignment for his seminarians where they had to memorize, the, the, not the passages of Scripture, but the events of the week. And he said over the years, literally thousands of students have written to tell him that this was one of the most impactful experiences of their Christian lives. And so this morning, I wanted to invite you to join me in trying this experience for yourself. We actually are sending out these daily scripture readings from the gospel accounts over text message. If you are on our text message list, you should have already got a link to that this morning. And if you are not and you would like to participate, this is actually a time in church, you could grab, grab your phone. But on the screen behind me, you can see, you can text the words Holy Week to the number 470-401-5800. And that information will also be, it was in your last week's weekly email, um, if you didn't get it, or find me after the service, and I'm happy to help you get on that list as well. But as you do these readings, I would encourage you to take some time to prayerfully ponder them, to meditate on all that Jesus was doing and experiencing. Perhaps you can imagine that you were in the scene as it was happening. Maybe you identify with a particular character. And ultimately, to take some time to reflect upon Christ's work on the cross and what that means for you personally. Well, my friend Charlie, he was Joe and my boss at our church out in California. He would tell us a story about something he would do with his kids when they were little that we then tried on our kids too. But he said he would, he would take each one of them aside, and then he would get some time with them, and he would say to them, you know, if I could line up all the little kids in the entire world, do you know who I would choose? And even though he would do this with them often, they would act super surprised, like they'd never heard this question before. Who, Daddy, who would you pick? And then he would say with as much excitement as he could muster, I would choose you. And friends, as we learn to embrace Jesus' identity as our King, who came for the purpose of journeying to the cross for each and every one of us, we begin to, to embrace also our own identity as God's beloved children. We may even come to experience the love of Jesus so personally as if we hear Jesus announcing to us, I would choose you. I would give my life just for you. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we are so grateful that you came not only to be our king, the one who is in control of all things, Lord, but you were willing to journey to the cross, Lord, that you gave up your life because of your incredible love for us. And so, Lord, I pray this Holy Week for each one of us, whether it's through a Monday, Thursday service experience, whether it's through these scripture readings, that the story of Jesus 
and the weight of his sacrifice might resonate in our hearts in a new way. Lord, I pray this year that we would recognize what a gift it is to call you our Savior, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you do not hold our sins against us, that you love us in spite of them, Lord, and that you are able to take all of our weaknesses, all of our mistakes, all of our failures, Lord, and because of the cross, to just completely wipe them away and transform us into the people that you have created us to be. So, Lord, as we enter Holy Week, Lord, I just pray that you would walk with us as we walk with you, Lord, and that we would experience more of who you are in our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.